0: Woo. Welcome to the Sunwork All Play podcast. We are so happy to be with you today. Happy Tuesday. It's Tuesday. And the energy is rolling over here on Tuesday and I got
1: oxygen coming through all my orifices. <laughs> it's great.
0: I've got a look right now staring at me in the face. So yes, there's the hoop earrings that we talked about last week. There's the backwards hat we talked about last week. You actually got a really cool necklace going on. But added to the equation is a big tan Breathe Right nose strip that honestly makes your nose look incredibly small because this thing is just all the way to your cheeks. It's incredible.
1: I just keep adding on to my bit. Every week, it's something a little bit different. Yeah. Hoop earrings, backward hat. Okay, but I was feeling the nose strip. So I had to go into your stash to find it. You have this like secret stash of nose strips because I've never been on the nose strip game. But you know what? I saw Kashia niyo the uh, Tour de France femmes writer that we were talking about who's so freaking amazing. Yeah. And she was wearing one and I was like, I'm in. You've been I've, influenced? I've been, I've been thoroughly influenced and not by you because you've been wearing them for five years.
0: Why couldn't I influence you, but Kasia could? Because it's helped me so much. I've told you constantly that having my airways open through my nose makes me just feel alive and hope in the world. Yet- You never did it.
1: Well, you do a lot of weird shit to your body. (laughs) So I wasn't buying any of that. But you know what? Kasia did it. And she had this picture. And her nose strip was on. And it was like really beautiful. And I was like, you know, not only is it possibly performance enhancing, it looks fucking fly. (laughs) So I'm sold. I got got influenced.
0: It's a little bit distracting because as you were talking there, you know, usually when I'm looking at you, I'm making eye contact. I don't really even think about where I'm looking. But right now, I'm just staring directly at your nose and nowhere (laughs) else. So we might have a little bit of an interesting energy on this podcast.
1: I should actually wear one when I present I'm just yeah. thinking about this like the my talking cadence isn't always conducive to like maximum oxygen uptake Definitely. and sometimes as I'm presenting I'm like oh, I'm short of breath right now this is horrifying so I should wear one then it would be distracting too people yeah. don't have to look at me they can just look at my nose strip.
0: yeah I mean I per- personally love it it's something I truly recommend to every athlete Not never- sponsored at all no in fact we need to be sponsored I saw that Billy Yang was sponsored uh trail running you know artist and creator in this space. And he posted an Instagram story Promoting Breathe Right And I'm like How the fuck Did they not contact me first I have probably <laughs> yeah. sold Millions of those strips Not to you of course But to everybody else Yet they sponsor Billy Yang first I haven't heard a word From Breathe Right Where's my money at
1: I totally agree I was a little pissed I was like yeah. I don't know Recently I've been like Pissed on your behalf Way more than <laughs> I've been Pissed on my behalf Like someone does you Injustice And I'm
0: furious yeah.
1: Meanwhile for myself I'm like eh That's okay <laughs> I love it
0: I have like a bulldog In my corner Um. So speaking of influencing I wanted to have a quick One more chance To influence the listeners out there so yes you should probably get a Breathe Right strip I like the the versions that aren't clear so the clear versions just come off the the darker versions stick on a lot better so totally recommend that but one more place I want to influence you is especially for the men in the audience in the power of shaving your legs (laughs) so yet I shaved my legs on Saturday after many many months of not doing it hold on yeah. Can I
1: can I comment about your leg shaving experience prior to this point?
0: Okay, what's so it? like
1: three weeks ago I yeah. was downstairs and I heard this giant crash upstairs and I was like, what the fuck is going on yeah. up there? Because like you know strange things sometimes happen with you and your <laughs> existence. And it turns out you dropped your shaver that you're going to use to shave your legs. So for like three weeks you've been walking around with one leg fully shaved and the other <laughs> yeah. one quite hairy. It's an interesting
0: look. Well, I tried to persevere. So I so what the, this is what I recommend and I think that this is important context for the listeners to really understand is I think sometimes people don't shave their legs because they think they need it to be smooth and silky but no that's not what you need you just need to not have a jungle down there Um,
1: (laughs) or you can have a jungle I mean I feel like sometimes you can have whatever you want well sometimes I feel like hair is a very like it's an expression of of, like gender and identity and things like that and we've fully uplift that
0: for sure. I fully uplift that, but you know what else I uplift aerodynamic Watts. <laughs> so yesterday was the first day I, ha- I was a little bit smoother down there. didn't have the overgrown canopy of trees on my legs. And of course I ran faster than I've run in quite a while. My running economy improved probably 2%. Is that the leg shaving? Perhaps. I think so. I think scientifically, we could probably make a study that would show that leg leg shaving when you have such a nasty bush on your calves (laughs) is actually quite helpful. Well,
1: look good, feel good. Because the number of times that you tell me about your calf bush and then the absence of the calf bush and how good you were feeling, I was like, he's just got to have a good run.
0: Okay. But serious recommendation here. I feel like sometimes people think that they shouldn't do it, but there's a reason. Why? Why? Why don't they do it? Yeah. You shouldn't, because like, I don't know. Actually, it's a really good question. In fact, I remember in twenty fifteen, I was at the US mountain running championships and I was on one of those athlete panels before the race. And someone raised their hand and said, David, why are your legs shaved? <laughs> and I was just like, um, I wasn't confident enough in my personality yet. And I was like, I just don't have much hair down there.
1: Is that what you said?
0: I don't remember exactly, but I had trouble admitting it. So I think there is some cultural influence. But, but it also a, does take work. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. Here's what I recommend. Instead of using like a razor or what I tried to use this weekend, which is a women's shaver.
1: So I came upstairs and you were in the shower with the door open for some reason, yeah. trying to shave your legs with this like hot pink women's shaver. And yeah. I was like, what have I walked it into? It was
0: the worst experience of my life. Like this is one of those places where if the gender norms were that men shave their legs, we'd have like... The Bush Chopper 4000. (laughs) And it would either really shave you well or amputate your leg. Meanwhile, women get these dainty little things. This thing was useless on my legs. And
1: it was supposed to be like the female max leg shaver.
0: Eh, I mean, it wasn't too expensive or anything, but that'll go to you. Instead, what I did is I just used my hair cutter, just like one of those things that cost $35 that you use to shave your head. And instead of that, I just put it on with no attachments and did my legs. So yes, it's not super duper close. But I was able to do it in like two minutes with no fuss. And I got so many watts. So to, to the people out there that might not want to shave their legs consistently or don't really care about it being smooth, all I'm saying is give it one try. I, you'll find yourself just being in your pants being like, why do my <laughs> legs feel so good right now? I imagine you have that feeling too after you shave yours. Oh, I it's don't great. know why we don't uplift this more. It is so nice not to have like leg bushes. That's
1: true. It does feel really good. My beef though, is that you left your fucking calf bush all over the bathroom floor. You could clean up after yourself a little bit better. I walked upstairs and I feel like the assumption is that that would be like my hair too. We recently had someone clean our house yeah, and I was like, I should probably make a statement that that is not my hair on the bathroom floor.
0: Yeah. They may be worried you have some sort of condition at that point because I'm not joking. That is a lot of hair on the floor. There's like a snow accumulation of my bush.
1: Well, I feel like I could grow more hair than you.
0: Really? Yeah. I don't think so, Megan. I think you're downplaying my pure hair growing ability. In fact, baby Leo now, nine months old, all of a sudden he was a bald baby for really long his head hair started going out in extreme directions. And that is my influence because it is currently like my hair. And it's already like four or five inches long. It's already
1: kind of like a bush, like your hair. Yes. I have
0: 99th percentile genetics, I think, on hair growing. And not just normal hair growing. Maybe that's the big problem. Maybe (laughs) the reason I need to shave my legs is that I just got pubes everywhere. Every single follicle is a pube. (laughs) And Leo has unfortunately been given those genetics.
1: Actually- I don't know. I feel like it's his are like 50%. Our genetics are kind of more. Okay. I got yeah, it. yeah.
0: So 50% is better. Um, so speaking of Leo, actually, I think that's a little bit of an interesting um, training segue here in that I posted an Instagram, go check it out, Mountain Roach, um, about the journey with Leo and our dog, Addy. A lot of people have asked about Addie. Addie's doing amazing. She's really supporting Leo, um, being very protective of him, a little skeptical of him. But in that video, there is was uh, Leo on wheels in a little walker. And I actually got a few messages and one very out there comment about how putting him in a walker at nine months is going to cause him long-term issues. <laughs> I'm not sure what they mean exactly by that, but probably things like plantar fasciitis. That was exactly what I was going shin for. Shin splints. Sciatica. 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 Um, pubes all over his head. He might turn into a Republican. (laughs) Who knows what could go wrong with Leo here? Um, But I thought it was an interesting point because this is our version of training Leo. He's doing great. Don't worry about him. Um, But even that led to criticism, which is fine. People are allowed to criticize us. Now imagine what people face when it comes to their actual training, right? That actually has impacts in the world and the types of criticism you get you get out in the world.
1: Or actually going about and living your life. Because yeah. I felt like this, this criticism on some level felt a little bit ridiculous because Leo has so much joy running around in his walker. In and fact, he's like, nine months old. Yeah, it doesn't exactly. matter at all. It's bringing him so much joy. He actually burned off the bottoms of his shoes. <laughs> he did. So nine month shoes have like the worst like fatigue resistance of all time. He burned off the bottoms of them. We had
0: to duct tape them. You know what it reminds me of? What? The book Wants a Runner which famously says oh, what is the secret yes the secret is to remove molecule molecule by molecule the rubber on the bottom of your running shoes. That is what Leo's doing at nine months. How can that be bad Instagram commenters?
1: And he's really going to town on it. It's not even molecules. It's like compounds (laughs) at that point. He's removing like full compounds of his shoes. It's pretty epic. But no, I feel like people do this on anything. And it's like, it's such a good reminder in life. It's like not to take yourself seriously in this process because literally so many people are
0: going to have pushback. Yeah. And whenever you get pushback, be like accepting of it to a certain extent. Because I think if you try to push back against that You know, pushback against the pushback, you're essentially playing into this game where you're constantly self-conscious and worried. And so out there in your training, you know, take the types of advice we give with a grain of salt, but especially take the types of criticism from the sidelines with humongous um, grains of salt because that type of thing will never stop coming and it'll take a lot of your joy out in the process.
1: Well, it's been so fun watching Leo go about this though. Cause I feel like he's been like training, like Lionel Messi. He did a juke of Addy the other day and that <laughs> was like so epic and he's learned footwork. Like yeah. I feel like he has this motion down and this actually reminds me of something we were talking about with Drew Holman when he went on a training run is he has this beautiful motion where he like, he runs. And then as soon as he's about to get where he's like heading, he yeah. starts to glide and he yeah. lifts his feet off the ground. And it's like this beautiful dance into where he's going. But anyways, so you were running with Drew Holman and and mm-hmm. Drew talked about this theory that um, he's been thinking about more in life of like push, push, glide, yeah. which is what Nordic skiers do um, in order to like sustain the Nordic ski motion. Yeah. And sometimes in life, you just have to like recognize the glide moments and yeah. fully roll with it. So and Leo, I, I love that so much. Joe yeah.
0: recognizes the glide, push, push, but make sure you take those glide moments. That goes for training. It goes for life. It goes for being in the walker, getting criticized on Instagram. <laughs> it goes for everything.
1: There's been so many times recently, actually, sometimes I feel like when you have a baby, you have to glide a little bit more in other yeah. areas of life. And for me, I think I like naturally push back against that. And now I'm like, no, I'm gliding. Yeah. I'm, I'm like doing the Strava segment glide right now. And it's been really helpful. And then I feel like, you know, you glide for a week or two, sometimes yeah. maybe a month or two. And the energy to push
0: really does come back. You and You know what else is gliding right now? What? Your nasal passages.
1: Yeah, they're getting all drippy. Your
0: olfactory (laughs) glands. There's a lot coming out there. It shows why it's so good. It's just clearing everything out from your nose.
1: I actually really like it. Yeah. It might be a podcast staple.
0: You're crushing it right now on the podcast. This is- Uh, Oh, I don't know about that. Megan, this has been- One of the best intros of all time, I'm absolutely sure of it. Which brings us to the main podcast and the coolest episode ever. We're gonna start with the best study on aging and performance. You're gonna love this one. Uh, Some Olympic trials thoughts. The marathon time was just announced in Orlando. Uh, UTMB training, double thresholds. The Kauai 50 miler, which was this weekend. A study on timing strength work. uh, Talk about new gear. Our new gear swap gear that's coming out um, and getting that out this week. Uh, talking about fueling and recovery, and finally, hot takes.
1: I'm so excited for the swap gear. We've been working on this for a long time, and now we get to finally talk about it. It's coming out from under the wraps and UTMB. Yeah, I feel like this is the month where we're going to talk about UTMB for like a month straight. It's going to be great.
0: Well, it influences the entire culture of the sport. So it also brings up a lot of other big questions that are fun to talk about.
1: Oh, it's going to be exciting. Okay, so
0: we want to start with a study I was not aware of from the Journal of Applied Physiology in 2017, and the title is Case studies in physiology, maximal oxygen consumption and performance in a centenarian cyclist. So in other words, a cyclist over 100 years old. And I think this study is one of the most hopeful, exciting pieces of science I've ever seen.
1: Well, also I love it. I feel like there's huge amounts of ageism in exercise yeah. physiology research. Like we're not looking at older athletes in this process and why not combat ageism by studying a hundred year old? I know. How cool
0: is that? They're really going to the extreme. So this is Robert Marchand. The study was on, uh, he set the 100 plus year old record for the one hour cycling event. Um, at 101 years old, he did 24.25 kilometers. But then at 103 years old, he did 26.92 kilometers. That's an 11% increase in performance from 101 to 103.
1: And that's at an age in which you expect, as as athletes get older, no, definitely. the declines, especially at age 100, you expect there to be like rapid, linear declines at age 100, and he's going the other direction.
0: Yeah, declines to six feet under, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Definitely for me. I'll be gone like 20 years before that, I assume. False. This, I don't know, Megan. I don't know. I, I feel we actually had a conversation last night. That I was like, for some reason, I have a feeling that I'm gonna die of cancer.
1: What gives you that feeling? I actually, so you are the most rapid. You have the most rapid recovery and adaptation response in the world. Oh my
0: gosh, Megan, you're, and I feel like
1: some of that does have to do with cell turnover. <laughs> oh no. So I see where you're going. You're finding but a scientific
0: rationale. I why. We should I not be I'm, talking about this. So in other words, cells when they divide rapidly, you can have uh, chances of mistakes in that process that perhaps can lead to cancer and other things. So. Yes, that is a interesting thought that might be why I think that way about myself. But, uh, but I think
1: I think you would crush the shit out of recovery.
0: Of, from cancer. Yes. <laughs> I don't think you're going to have cancer. Right? <laughs> maybe. maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Hopefully, I passed on Leo to Leo the genes to recover, but not the genes to be concerned about things like cancer, because that type of anxiety is not helpful for anyone. Uh, but what is hopeful to me is the Robert Marchand's VO2 max numbers, and that's the big breakthrough in this study. At 101 years old, his VO2 max was 31. At 103, after doing two years of really hard training, it improved to 35, a thir- a improvement. So even at 101, over hundred years old, you can see really huge fitness gains with focus training. How cool is that?
1: And it's fun to think about how those fitness gains translate into longevity yeah. and health and performance. And at, at age hundred, you're training, not just for setting these types of records, but also for like longevity and health and performance. But he did so in a really structured way. Like yeah. he, they took an 80, 20 approach. Um, so 80% easy. So this is like more polarized fashion and then 20% at higher intensities. Yeah. And it's so cool to think about a centenarian doing an 80, 20 polarized
0: approach. Yeah. And he was doing 5,000 kilometers a year. His peak power increased. Uh, His cadence on the bikes increased, which I thought was very interesting as well. Actually,
1: significantly. That was one of the big reasons that they hypothesized that he improved so much. And I think for me, this is curious as a coach, because when you have athletes that are cycling or running, you think about there's essentially two ways to improve you increase your cadence or you increase your power or you do some combination of both and it's always fascinating for me like to athletes which recommendation do you do you suggest based off of like their initial output
0: and so this cyclist essentially increased his cadence right like that was what gave him the benefit here and it's kind of interesting that even at these really advanced ages you can make interventions like that Mm -hmm. and see humongous growth i mean 13% in VO2 max is huge. And that mainly came from cycling dynamics.
1: Yeah. And I think it's actually curious to me. I feel like as you age, I think that increasing your power component becomes a little bit more challenging in terms of like... The amount of watts that you're you're putting out, but you can do that via via cadence, and it's almost like an easier way to get there um, through age. But for me, I thought about this because we're team never hike, and we talk about this. But recently, my bike, so we've been biking a little bit more as I've been recovering from a back niggle, and my front shifter wasn't working, and so I had to I was like stuck in this big ring for our entire ride, and I just had to like power through it, and actually. It was one of our best rides. And I was like, shit, how are we, <laughs> am I team big ring now? Yeah. Because um, it like it forced me to, inc- to drop my cadence a little bit and increase my power, and it actually worked.
0: That's why you got the QOM to Jamestown and back. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I mean, seriously, it, it is interesting to think about how these little interventions matter. And why we wanted to highlight this study is because Robert Marchand was a serious cyclist for most of his life. Mm-hmm. He's not starting from scratch at 101 years old, yet he saw this type of growth by doing focused training. And I think what it points out is not necessarily that you know, at sixty years old, you can be your all-time peak potential. But we are saying from sixty to sixty two, you can get better. And really honing in on what you can control and how you can develop, I think is a incredibly motivational and an inspirational part of Robert Marchand's story.
1: And also changing the context of it too. Like yeah. I'm sure this is this is totally different than how he was performing in his thirties, forties and fifties. But he seemed excited about it. And it's like, I feel like that part is really cool.
0: Also some fun facts about him. He was a longtime member of the French Communist Party, which is pretty interesting. He was a prisoner of war during World War II uh, and was setting all of these records into like the late 20 teens. Um, Unfortunately, he passed away at 109 years old. 109? Yeah. Can you imagine that? That's incredible. And, but he was still setting records up to his 105. So um, Robert Marchand, we're pouring one out for you today. Some of that precision hydration but we just want to say like how inspirational it is that no matter when you are right now, no matter where your history was, you can improve. That doesn't mean that you can reach your all-time peak potential, but that improvement is what this game is all about.
1: I love that point. It makes me so excited, too, to get old with you, too, and be, like, at hopefully age, like, 95, be like, we're increasing our cadence. This is all about cadence training.
0: (laughs) Unless the cancer gets me first. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about some running news, a mixed bag of things. So many cool topics here that I'm really excited for. The very first one is on the Olympic trials, and here is a question from Patreon. Thoughts on the proposed noon start time in Florida location for the U.S.-American marathon trials next February? Seem lots of online chatter from athletes on both sides. Some are very concerned about athlete safety and potential temps, and then others are saying it'll be um, very comparable to Paris in July, so it will be a good test.
1: Well, I love that people are asking us this question because Florida has been a recurring bit in our podcast. Yeah! Fuck Florida. We always talk shit about Florida. It's like one of the worst locations in the U.S. to go to train. Athletes that go to Florida have existential crises about their training, about their fitness, literally every time they go. It's
0: so hard. So for context, for those that don't know, the marathon trials, the once every four years thing that so many road marathons honors structure their lives around, even if they're not going to get to the Olympics, is going to be in February in Orlando, starting at noon.
1: Why are they doing this? And it's also on like basically on highways with no yeah. shade, like so like industrial complexes. <laughs> it's the least aesthetic course possible. Like why?
0: That's actually the, you know, national landmark of Florida <laughs> <Yeah>. is industrial <laughs> <laughs> highway. Like, no, fuck. I messed up in my in criticism of Florida. Going to get so much hate mail for that. But, you know, I think it is... Very concerning because USADF made this decision when there was another, you know, really strong bid. And now they're making the decision to start it at noon, which even if it's not going to be 90 degrees, it's usually unpleasant at that time if you've ever been in Florida, even in the winter. So why are we doing that to athletes?
1: talk about athletes. What about the fans? Yeah. If we go to this race, I don't want to stand out there and watch this race for two and a half hours in the sun on the side of a highway. That sounds horrible. <laughs> it sounds so bad. I mean, it's not about the athletes. It's about us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there's also really practical concerns. So, you know, yes, athlete health and that sort of thing. But also, we're going to have a number of athletes that are going to need the time qualifiers for men. Exactly. And yeah. It's going to be impossible to get it on this course, assuming a normal year. So the rationale is that the TV time demands it. So, if you broadcast it live on NBC at noon, perhaps it gets a little bit more reach. But that seems a little bit weird to me because do we think noon on a weekend is going to really launch running into the stratosphere? I don't think so. I think the freaks like me and you are going to watch it no matter what, no matter when it is. And then everyone else just wants good stories to be told. They're not going to be sitting down for two and a half hours of marathoning on a random weekend day. So, I don't understand that rationale either. We should prioritize the athletes and put them first.
1: I totally agree. Some of the pushback I've seen has been like, well, we race Western states. Ultras do this all yeah. the time. But the thing about ultras is we don't have athletes trying to set records in the marathon. Definitely, like yeah. These athletes are going out there and hammering to make the Olympic team and just how dangerous this is. Like, it's totally different than at Western States where you yeah. have time at aid stations to like sit there, be iced down by everyone. Like that's not happening at the
0: marathon trials. And it's not at the margins of human performance. Like to make the Olympic team for the US in the marathon, you are pushing every point zero one percent matters. In trail we're still looking at even.
1: Like you can hang out on an aid station at Western States for 10 minutes and still win the race. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Meanwhile, you know, we're putting athletes into this ringer when every 0.01% matters. And what are we actually testing? Yeah. So that's my big concern. If this was in July, maybe that makes sense. Yes, Paris is going to be warm. But that's in the summer.
1: But it's also, you look, I actually went through and looked at, like, the average high temperatures for Paris, and it's not that high. Like, the average high is 77 in in July, and
0: that's... But even then, it's like... Yes. In summer, athletes will be acclimated to heat. In February, they won't be unless they do these wild heat protocols. And then what are we actually testing? We're testing their ability essentially to do these types of heat training systems that aren't going to be relevant in the summer because you can just train in ambient temperatures and get those acclimations. So I think we're not necessarily thinking about the athletes here. My guess is that there were not nearly enough athletes on the panels that make these decisions and if there were they were overruled
1: my bet is that the people that were making these decisions probably have not gone out and run 10 miles in the heat
0: yeah and also (laughs) just i don't think that usatf necessarily makes decisions with the athletes in mind Mm -hmm. nearly enough and i I don't understand why because The point of growing the sport is first and foremost, making sure your athletes are fulfilled and loving the process and that sort of thing, because that is your labor. Mm -hmm. Whatever you are selling comes from that labor. So think about that. Put them first, and then that will drive you and lead the way. And I think that that's never the way it works with USATF, it seems, at least with road and track. In trails, the USATF people are amazing. And it's just like an, a weird dichotomy that I don't understand.
1: We well, also feel like, too, the marathon trials are not just about the top three and yeah. selecting the top three. It's about the fact that it raises so many people to the top yeah. by aspiring to qualify for the Olympic trials. Like the number of of athletes that it's motivated to yeah. get there and to compete is really huge. And I think we have to honor that too, that those experiences matter, not just the the athletes that are trying to make the team.
0: Man, they get to go to Orlando
1: yeah, right? in February <laughs> okay.
0: and run at noon. <laughs> that sounds so bad. So my theory here is that by you know the end of this process, the race will start at a reasonable hour, like 8 a.m. or something, um, make it a little bit earlier. But I think it's still going to be in Orlando. So you win some, you lose some.
1: Well, when you look at all the history of like the Olympic events, hosting marathons, if it's ever really hot, they host, they run the race at like 6 a.m. Yeah. for athlete welfare. And I feel like we need to look at that and look at the history and be like, oh, yeah, we should probably do the same thing.
0: And also look at the history of the trials. So yes, yeah. was it in 2016, I believe, that they ran it in L.A.? Mm-hmm. It was so hot. So hot. And athletes had a lot of health issues out there. And the problem is if we really want to uplift these athletes, putting them in a situation where they have to push hard when they're not heat acclimated... Everyone out there who's ever run in those conditions knows how far to the edge that can push your body. We're not going to have the best marathon team because then they're going to have health issues after. This is the type of thing that can change recovery rates from, you know, a few weeks to a few months or even years. And that type of thing needs to really be considered. Like even at Western States this year, we saw that. So this was a much cooler year at Western Mm -hmm. States our athletes are recovering so much faster than any other year in the past. It's a
1: totally different context. Yeah. We used to see for athletes, especially like first-time Western States athletes, it would take a month
0: or two to At recover. Least, yeah. Sometimes six months. Yeah. like That heat stimulus is so much harder than the event itself often. So we're going to try to do whatever we can to you know influence it to push. Um, I think that th- on the flip side that the um, questioner references, there are some people out there that are saying that well, the toughest win, you need to be ready for this. Think about the TV time. And I'm like, that's not what it's about. That's not what running's about. Running's about having fun, having adventure, and enjoying the process. Not just this nitty-gritty calculation about what's going to lead to 5,000 more people watching it live, which is not going to help the, grow the sport anyway. It's not just a, it's not a big enough number.
1: Well. It's kind of entertaining to watch the back and forth on Twitter yeah. and to see what people are saying. And it reminds me a lot of Bo Burnham's quote. What is that quote that we're talking about? You're going to say it better than I am, so I'm, I'm putting you on the spot.
0: The backlash to the backlash to the thing that's just begun.
1: That's so good. I, so it a totally the,
0: different tone, but that's from the, That Funny Feeling, an amazing song by Bo Burnham you should check out.
1: So the backlash to the backlash to the thing that's just begun, I feel like that defines all of Twitter or X or threads or whatever thing you're communicating yeah. on, and it's fascinating.
0: Yeah, and I just think with running, we need to think about the athlete out there that is going and wants to have an enjoyable lifetime process like Robert Marchand or something. Yeah,
1: exactly. And
0: really anchor some of our decisions in those types of athletes rather than anchoring our decisions in what Nike wants on what NBC wants or any of that, because trust me, that is not going to grow the sport. The sport of running will only grow from the bottom up. Like our podcast being a great example, we appeal to athletes, you know, every, and saying everyone out there is an athlete. And as a result, the sport, Podcast has grown much bigger than we ever dreamed. You're not going to appeal to try to long-term growth by trying to find you know some imaginary viewer out there who doesn't give a fuck about athletics or give a fuck about the athletes.
1: Can I push back? Do you okay. think our podcast has grown because we cater to athletes or because you talk about your calf bush? <laughs> I'm not really sure.
0: Yeah, especially with like AI creating these transcripts of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's the first definite. Maybe it's the first use of like calf bush out there. In which case, we'll get a whole new thing of search engine optimization because I'm sure that's a major search term for some people.
1: I'm so excited about that. So I'll be curious to see if AI does transcribe our podcast. We talk so fast. Yeah. I'm curious to see like some of the words that get melded together. What happens?
0: Oh my god, it is so wild. Okay, next point. We want to talk briefly about UTMB training. So we're sitting around the house this weekend looking over Strava, looking at our athletes' races, looking at our, you know, the people we follow. And Megan pipes up with the best quote I've ever heard. What was it, Megan?
1: It makes my HPA axis hurt (laughs) looking at it. So HPA axis is the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. Say that like eight times fast for AI. And yeah, dude, people are throwing down for UTMB training. And it's curious to me, also a little bit horrifying in terms of like, seeing 40-mile, 50-mile Strava files coming from the UTMB course. And it's like, okay, what is that doing to athletes in the long term? And also, what is that doing to athletes' psyche that are doing the race and seeing their competitors post, like, 40 or 50-mile runs? And it's hard. Yeah, Yeah. so the
0: HPA axis um, operates over long-term time horizons. It's really influenced by stress, chronic training, things like that Mm -hmm. can really cause damage to your adrenal system, to your thyroid, and essentially how the body functions – on a fundamental level. And I think sometimes when we're looking at UTMB training and people just absolutely killing themselves right now, and you see this a lot throughout the year for different races and things like that, we're not thinking on the long-term time horizons that need to be thought of. And you see this with UTMB. It's like every year there are people that have breakthroughs there. And then if you follow their careers in the years after, some will be freaks that perform really well forever, and then some will just have these long-term regression cycles characterized by really you know, uncomfortable processes of injury, endocrine fatigue, or whatever you want to call it, and other you know terrible issues that all amount to like really bad health things. And we need to talk about that more. I
1: was going to say characterized by cliffs. It's yeah. like the proverbial story where you see an athlete like throwing down these Strava files, and then it's just like a cliff. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And to the point where their body just like their adrenal system, their endocrine system, all of these systems are really struggling because of how much stress their body has been under. And yeah, I think the challenge is that yes, sometimes it works. And sometimes probably those athletes are genetically gifted at adapting to stress, but sometimes it doesn't. And yeah. we don't really talk enough about those stories of the athletes that have fallen off the cliff, yeah. uh, like what's happened to them. And
0: I, I wish we did more often. I think that's the big problem is the time horizon that it's so easy to think about these types of things short term, because then there's always the next generation of athletes that's excelling, excelling, excelling. Mm-hmm. And we never really think about, okay, but the way a coach should be evaluated or even the way we should think about you know, health in this sport is over five, 10 years and really zooming out in that manner. And so you know, it comes back to our chronic versus acute stress um, framework. So acute stresses are okay. These long runs are not necessarily bad. All of our athletes are doing 50K plus runs and things like that. I was gonna
1: say, we are giving some big ass training yeah. weeks uh, as we had as we have athletes heading into UTMB races. And there's Strava files, probably people look at them and they're like, oh shit, like yeah. that's, that's quite a Strava file. But I think we back that up with a lot of recovery, a lot of focus on adaptation and also a lot of speed too. Yeah. And I think this is the key point too. Sometimes I feel like when we see these like big progressions into UTMV, athletes are neglecting their speed, but it's like, what happens to those athletes long-term as they're running economy and speed craters?
0: Yeah. And so we wanted to bring up a study that we've talked about before on here, but wanted to mention it one more time. Uh, it was in the international journal of sports physiology and performance called VO two max and velocity at VO, VO2max play a role in ultra-distance trail running performance.
1: Perhaps my favorite title of all time. Yeah, it's
0: just straight to the point.
1: It's like, it's our confirmation bias right in the
0: title. Yeah. Like, how great is that? I love it so much. But the big finding here, this was done at UTMB, and it found that performance correlated significantly with VO2max and velocity at VO2max. So- the idea being that the only things that really predicted performance at UTMB were an athlete's speed and top end.
1: And those are pretty strong correlations too. So for the performance with VO2 max, it was 0.724. And then with velocity at VO2 max, interestingly, it was higher, which makes sense, which was 0.813. And those are pretty high correlations. Those are pretty strong correlations. Like if I were a scientist, I'd be like, heck yes. Those are good findings. And I think
0: it's a little counter to what people say and what coaches talk about at this time of year, where it's like, just about time on feet, getting comfortable in the mountains. It's like, yes, that stuff matters. But I think if we focus on that and have people running 50 mile long runs or whatever we're seeing out there, we're essentially saying, well, fuck the science and the actual variables that count, which is your velocity at VO2 max, which is essentially your 5k pace is highly predictive for your ability in ultras. So what matters with these long runs is getting your body used to the biomechanical stresses Mm -hmm. and the mechanical. So like your muscular system gets used to the downhills. You're comfortable metabolically being out there on your feet for a really long time. You're, you like the mountains, stuff like that. But if you don't stay fast through this process and elevate the like push, push, glide part of training, you're just going to get and you're not going to perform as well. And that's the problem here is like we elevate athletes that just kill themselves in training without looking long-term to see what happens next.
1: I love that you brought back push, push, glide. Yeah. Because I feel like it's also too about making those glides intentional. And sometimes too, like... Injury or illness; these are chances to actually like use that glide. And so, if athletes do get injured post UTMB or do have illness post UTMB, it's like actually no, this is a great experience to let the body adapt yeah. and let's learn from this and let's let's use this as a chance to glide. But how do you coach? So I'm curious because I think the other component of UTMB training is specific time on course, yeah, and that that actually matters Definitely. a lot. So how do you coach athletes? And I've seen you do different kind of experiences based on the athlete. But say they go over with a month before UTMB. They want to spend a lot of time on course. Yeah. How do you structure that?
0: Basically, at that point, hopefully we're really fast, and then you get out on course as much as you can over two to three-day cycles, Mm -hmm. and then back off for two to three-day cycles with a speed session. I love that. So essentially, push, push, and then sometimes you'll take a little bit of a recovery period after where you just do easy running. Because, you know, I think Strava does a lot of damage in this regard, where Mm -hmm. athletes are doing... 120 mile weeks with 40,000 feet of vert. And I'm like, okay, we're trying to remake the wheel on training theory if we think that that is what it takes. Because you look at road marathoners where the margins are 0.01%. No one's doing the equivalent, which would be essentially a runner doing 200 mile Weeks of flat road in, running in terms
1: of time on feet because it takes so much time to run on yeah. UTMB type terrain with 40,000 feet of vert in a week. Yeah, and
0: then they wouldn't just be doing long runs with marathon-paced efforts like I think a lot of trail runners do, where it's just like I'm gonna dial in my race pace and just a little bit quicker, essentially. Um, so you know, maintain your speed, try not to get caught up too much in Strava and things like that because I think we are seeing sometimes athletes make short-term decisions for their long, you know, when their long-term health is implicated in a negative way and that can be really negative not just for the athlete but for the whole community. So any athlete can do what they want, but remember you don't have to do that and in fact you're probably going to be rewarded If you do think a little bit longer term,
1: I've had to think about that a lot as an athlete because I don't think my body would not be able to sustain that. I think I have a pretty high like inflammation context in which that would just not work. And I think I've had to go through this experience where I I show up to race start lines being at like 90 or 95%. And you know, that's what I'm going to be. And I have to trust in that process. And I think that looks different for every athlete.
0: Definitely. But you know something that's really, really exciting where we can be a hundred percent What? In Chamonix, because we're going. I'm
1: so excited. We're going. It's our first time ever going. So after Western States, we had a little bit of a a Western States fatigue dip. We had to glide a little bit post Western States. And we decided, we're like, oh, we're not going to Chamonix. It's going to be too much. But then we've rebounded. And we've decided to go. And we're pushing. And I'm so excited for the
0: trip. And we're going to be going with baby Leo. So... We'll be saying hi to a lot of you out there, especially the people that are based in Europe. So we can't wait. It's going to be so fun. Hopefully our athletes do great. But either way, we'll be there with lots of gelato for them.
1: It's going to be our first international trip with Baby Leo. Yeah.
0: Well, it's going to be our first international trip ever together that wasn't for our own race
1: oh that's kind of nice so
0: we've gone to the world championships a few times together
1: we've gone we've done a bunch of like international races and it's always a different context when you're flying yeah. over to race internationally because i'm not great at sleeping i planes. yeah you
0: don't and you don't sleep at all for like three days after you land at least and we usually get there three days before
1: well do you know what now we have our like prescription we have this melatonin that is freaking amazing. It's not prescription, it's nature made, but you know what? It's like delicious and I'm curious to see if I had those same issues.
0: It'll it'll be really cool. Hopefully we can get it through customs. If we don't get it through customs, like we're going to be fucked because you're never going to (laughs) sleep over there the entire time.
1: Well, I feel like I've also become more chill too. So maybe that's like part of it too. And more chill, not racing. So I'll just be laying there and be like, I'm letting my neurons relax even if I can't sleep.
0: I don't know if the sleep stuff's a choice for you though. I think it has nothing to do with your chillness. It just has to do with Sometimes your brain doesn't shut off.
1: Yeah, that's true. What do you recommend to athletes going over there?
0: Um, In terms of sleep or something? Sleep, yeah i mean i don't know anything about that stuff
1: well I, I tell them get there early yeah i think getting there early adapting adjusting makes a lot of sense if not i do think melatonin is helpful if you find one that like find a type of melatonin that works for your body and then don't panic
0: should we be the dealers
1: <laughs> yeah right bringing
0: like eight things of nature made melatonin because we have a theory that only this brand works every other melatonin is fake except this brand um and like, maybe we can be like Alberto Salazar and put li- the little pill baggies in a hollowed out book and just slide them across the Way to get them through customs and be
1: like, enjoy your four percent better sleep. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Actually, David, you chew them. You're supposed to swallow them, and you chew them for added effect, which is like yeah. the ultimate addict um, lifestyle.
0: One step closer to snorting them. <laughs> yeah. And then after that, I'll be injecting <laughs> this 1.5 milligrams of Nature Made Melatonin because we only do half of a pill. We split it. One choose one side. One choose the other. So maybe this is the gateway here to really negative behaviors later. I hope not, though.
1: Well, given how many sleep struggles I've had internationally yeah. and how. Fun frustrated i've been with those sleep struggles internationally remember our trip to italy yeah we, it was like our honeymoon trip to italy we were competing in the world mountain running championships i literally didn't sleep for like 48 hours before that race yeah you and i was like it. poking you all night i was like i can't sleep yeah. i can't sleep
0: nowadays i would probably like figure out a way to like slip something into your drink <laughs> yeah. i'd roof you with melatonin
1: actually i was gonna say i got so frustrated i would almost 100 percent snort melatonin at like 3am and just be like anything anything
0: yeah. oh that was a tough trip oh my gosh and the walls were paper thin at that hotel room <laughs> yeah. oh what a memory and it was our honeymoon yeah essentially well it was
1: really fun honeymoon yeah <laughs> yeah do you do you consider that fun
0: Could, do i consider it fun i mean it's fun in retrospect yeah, yeah. in the moment at 3am when we hadn't slept for a really long time it wasn't so fun and then on race morning for for the world mountain champs i saw patrick Smith, who was the one of the best runners in the world at that time And he was a favorite to win this race. He was drinking the little coffees and he drank like eight of them. And I was like, (laughs) okay, well he's great. I should definitely do the same thing because that's going to be great for my performance. This
1: was long before your like peak coaching days.
0: Oh yeah. This was right when I had started. I was like a year into coaching. This was very, very early on. And, um, so I did that and then my heart was beating out of my chest. I couldn't keep anything in. And that was one of the most Difficult race experiences in my whole life.
1: Well, that's actually, this brings me back to my recommendations. If you get over to Europe and you can't sleep or you're having trouble adjusting, don't drink the coffee. Yes. That shit is so strong. It's like, for me, I think I made the mistake of drinking coffee and trying to have like a normal day over there. If I were to do this again, I would bring melatonin. But then also when I arrive, just don't drink coffee. And see if I could like reset my system that way.
0: I love it. Yeah. Okay, and so do what you need to do, but also consider the nature-made 3-milligram <laughs> Um Do you want to talk about double thresholds, or do you want to skip to quiet?
1: Let's do it actually, because I, okay. I think this builds well off of what we were just talking about. So Molly Seidel has been coming back and training. She had a few injuries. She went through eating disorder recovery. She's been like— Olympic
0: bronze medalist in the marathon, so like, very relevant to our conversations. And she's
1: been amazing putting it all out there. She actually even did goat.
0: Yeah, she did the 28K. Yeah. finished second place there. So, she's doing her trail running. And what she posted on Instagram is talking about she is back to doing double thresholds. So, talked about these before, especially in the Norwegian episode. Go back and listen to that one, um, where athletes do a workout in the morning, followed by a workout in the evening, both intensity controlled. Um, and these are basically ubiquitous now across the training landscape in road running, in track running. And so we must be seeing some sort of signal through the noise that at least for some athletes, these make a positive difference, whether it's Jacob Ingebrigtsen in Norway or Renato Canova's athletes in Kenya or, you know, athletes like Molly Seidel.
1: And we're seeing it too. So Mike Smith, um, a coach at NAU, he yeah. coaches Nikki Hiltz, he coaches several Woody other- Kincaid, I think. Woody Kincaid. He coaches so many athletes right now who are throwing down. They do a lot of double threshold sessions, a yeah. lot of aerobic-based sessions. Um, and it's really fun to think about. But I think for trail running the uphill treadmill is such a gift for double threshold sessions because you can get in a little bit of threshold work without this huge injury risk in terms of like the high biomechanical output.
0: Yeah. So that's the reason we wanted to reference it today is because I think these aren't really practical for most athletes, Mm -hmm. even athletes that are really, really advanced. If you find yourself doing two flat workouts a day, like, unless you're young and able to adapt and don't do that much the rest of the day, it's just gonna be hard to avoid breakdown. I know I would just be sore as shit. Like, I, I heard Eli Hemming on the Free Trail podcast talking about why him and Tabor Hemming, two world-class trail runners, don't do a ton of run doubles. Mm-hmm. This is like, after I do a workout, I just feel kind of beat up, you know? And we coach them and like, like yes, I feel the same way. Um, And so they do a lot of cross training. And I think a place that trail runners can find you know, the ability to get these adaptations without having to beat themselves up is on the uphill treadmill or in cross training. So for our athletes, we love to add uphill treadmills on workout days periodically. Like it can be so beneficial and you can get a lot of the controlled threshold style work even without doing intervals. And I think it can be a magical process for adaptation.
1: It doesn't have to be daunting either. Because when I hear this, it's like there's alarm bells going off in my head, like daunting, daunting, daunting. Definitely. Inflammation, inflammation, inflammation. But if you get on the treadmill hill for like 30 minutes and gradually progress into Z3, that counts. Yeah. And that's like not daunting at all. You're easing into it. It's an uphill treadmill. You're putting out strong biomechanical output, but it's not fast. And to me, that's so helpful. And
0: at 15% grade for most athletes just running gets you up into Z3 and it doesn't feel like a hard workout. Like, Which is
1: so great. The mountain does the work for you yeah. or the uphill treadmill belt that you think is a mountain as you're on there
0: very the, delicately. The never ending torture mountain. <laughs> yes, that's what yeah. I call it. Um, and you know, so we like athletes to set it to 15%, start at the essentially easiest pace you can go ideally while still running, but you can do run and hike and then increase the pace until you ease up after like 10 or 15 minutes into low Z3. And probably you'll have some drift into the high Z3 low z4 by the end you get probably all the adaptations that we're talking about with double thresholds over you know 25 or 30 minutes but it's more specific to trarning because we're talking about climbing that's really beneficial and you'll probably find that they might even expedite recovery because you're working through all those wonky feelings in your body like it is so helpful to transfer some of your high end aerobic work to uphill treadmill or to cross training if you can, um, especially if you're living a real life or an aging athlete.
1: Yeah, but if you're doing living like a real life, don't do this at like 7 or 7.30 p.m. Yeah. Sometimes I have athletes that come sure. to me and they're like, I could do on at 8 p.m. And it's like, no, 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 let's not, let's not add that.
0: Yeah, so consider trying these. You can do everything the same and just add one uphill treadmill a week at like, you know, for 30 minutes in the afternoon. It can start really easy. And then you can start to add workouts over time once you adapt where you just increase the pace. See, you'll probably see major adaptations. It's something that basically across the board with our professional athletes becomes an element over time. It's so exciting. Okay, final thing we want to talk about, uh it was the Kauai 50 Miler this weekend, which had get this to the men's win- winner and the women's winner $15,000,
1: which is wild. For context, at Western States, you get a buckle. Yes. Yes. And, a cougar. and a, cougar. a cougar. There's no that being said though, I feel like at Western States or at UTMB, these days if you podium or top 10, yeah. you probably get the equivalent in terms of salary support from companies. The uh, so
0: bonuses are high, but yeah. also the contracts you could get in the future are probably very high. Yes. That being said, prize money is low. Yes. Though you could put the cougar on eBay.
1: <laughs> that's true. How, much, how much do you, you think the cougar would go yeah. for? It's a good question. I mean, Courtney's cougar.
0: There's yeah. a big difference between oh, like, Courtney's
1: cougar and everyone else's cougar.
0: Yeah. So I feel like, that's a good question. I feel like it would cause an outrage in trail running, but I Why? think- Why? Because people- Doing it for charity or something? People oh, would love that. Do it for the charity of my beach house in Maine, <laughs> perhaps? Is that what you're saying?
1: <laughs> but if you win the Cougar, you don't need that.
0: Oh, yeah, because you're getting it from your... You're, you're getting, getting it from your sponsors. From your sponsor. Yeah. But no, I, I think probably if you sold your Cougar, there's not that many out there in existence and it was tied to like a performance like Courtney's, I think you could probably get six figures for it. That's fascinating. I think you probably get $125,000 for a Cougar.
1: Would you pay that for a Cougar?
0: Okay, investment opportunity. Yes. So we're going to have another swap athlete that wins Western States again, right? We've already had a couple. It's going to happen again. We get athletes. We're going to make them sign contracts now, which we haven't (laughs) done in the past, which is bad lawyer of me. And in the contract, it's going to say, if you win a Cougar, swap is invested in you from the outset, and it returns to swap, and then swap can sell it, and then- you get the, the athlete gets ten percent of the proceeds, and we get ninety percent.
1: I love this. It's basically a physical version of Bitcoin. That's way better. Yeah, Cougar Coin is way better than Bitcoin. Cougar
0: Coin. Yes. Exactly. Oh my God. This is Megan. This is how we get rich. This is how we make it. <laughs> it's like in uh, the show Silicon Valley, and he called his uh, vodka Trace Comas for the Billion Dollar Club. That's going to be us, but with Cougar Coins. The Cougar Club. Yeah, it's going to be so good. Um, so at Kauai, um, you know, I think it's really interesting that it was such a high prize prize purse. But it's Which I didn't realize, yeah.
1: actually. And I was like, shoot, as a coach, I should have realized that because I should have sent
0: more athletes there. Yeah, but, you know, at the same time, it's essentially a tough dirt road, 50-miler in heat in Hawaii. so it's, it,
1: Which translates, at least in my definition, to not a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it could be fun, but it really requires great fitness. It
1: depends on your definition of fun. And it depends on your balance of type 1 and type 2 fun, I guess. <laughs> that's yes. so
0: true. Um, so speaking of someone that's fitness was amazing... We need to shout out Ryan Miller. Ryan Miller is one of the best humans I've ever met. And he won this race after going through a lot of, you know, trials and tribulations. Um, He's worked his fucking ass off throughout the process. He's such a wonderful person. Um, And I just, I, I told you before the race, like, if I could give anything to have one athlete perform to their potential, it would be Ryan at this race. And so to see him win, Megan saw me cry. It was quite a moment.
1: He also recorded a really sweet video for you. It was (laughs) adorable. And you were like continuing your tears as you saw the video. But I'm just, Ryan is such a good guy. He
0: said, thanks for always believing in me. Yeah. And that was it. And while while I was in the like little cot recovering, it was one of the best moments of my whole life. But I do think Ryan's journey is really instructive to everyone. So he was going through adversity and we weren't sure exactly why and what happened. I mean, through this process, he got sponsored by Nike. He got dropped by Nike. He created his own business. He's had multiple kids. He's crushing it um, in coaching, blah, blah, blah. Um, And what he did is he kind of went back to the drawing board with a bunch of different things. We rethought the ways we do things like tapers and some of his training. We backed off some of the doubles because they were really stressful. We transferred some to the treadmill, things like that. But then also he worked with Kylie Van Horn, an amazing nutritionist. I
1: love Kylie. Yes. If I could send like as many athletes as possible to Kylie, I would. I think she's. we've been like inundating her with athletes. One of the best RDs out
0: there. One of the best, but there's a lot of amazing yeah. coaches. Just like there's a lot of amazing coaches, there's a lot of amazing people in that field. But she worked with him to dial in his fueling and his hydration processes. So we talked a lot last week about sodium and how people sweat. He really figured out he was a very high sweater. So like on the higher end of the range um, in terms of salt... And so he changed his, the way he raced. And at this race, he made the final move on the last lap in the last 10 miles, just as we predicted, absolutely crushed it. And I think it points out that like, sometimes what we think are our limiters with life, stress, fitness, or whatever can come down to something as small as, can we dial in how much salt you need in an event? And once you find those answers, the world's your oyster.
1: And that's why I think if you're struggling with something, it's like try uncovering so many different little things to see what happens and like get super curious. And like each race is an opportunity to learn that. But a question I have for you. So, you know, he's really focusing on increasing his salt intake. Salt sometimes can be a little bit abrasive to the stomach, especially if athletes are taking in like pure salt or some of the methods of of getting in salt are are challenging for athletes to stomach. Do you know what he's using in terms of like Increasing his salt intake.
0: He's using precision.
1: Interesting. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, primarily. So a lot of his fueling. The tabs from, or. I don't know exactly, but yeah. I do know that most of his fueling was around like the he was using the big S gels and things like that. Yeah. So you know, another vote in favor of precision. And I think sometimes the exact source of the sodium does matter. But yeah. we're oh, not, for sure. We're it's a place we're still learning. Actually, um,
1: I think I've seen like anecdotally bad outcomes and athletes that are just taking in like table salt. Yeah. So you did that at Canyons. You put a well, bunch I was of desperate. Yes. You were desperate. You put a bunch of table salt and you, I didn't know this was happening. It's yeah. a good thing. You didn't tell me this until after the race. Well, I had no
0: option. There yeah. Was no on watermelon
1: option. and you just ate it. But I feel like that's actually very abrasive to the stomach.
0: Yeah, I would say so, because my stomach ended up all on the side of the trail a few minutes (laughs) later, and I had like an eight-mile vision quest. Was it
1: a few minutes later that that happened, or a few minutes? I mean, it
0: was a little bit later, but my body collapsed after that. I clearly got very dysregulated. It wasn't a wise decision, but it was because I didn't have... In the future, what I'm just going to do is bring a bunch of precision tabs with me on these events so I can just start throwing in them in drinks. And you basically have as much as you'd ever need with a couple tab bottles. It just seems way easier to me. Um, And so the way we wanted to talk about this briefly is a follow-up to last week. So we talked about sodium and sweat. Um, In dialing in these numbers, remember that it's never precise. We're not Mm -hmm. talking exactly the amount you need. You're essentially just finding out, am I low, am I medium, or am I high? Ryan found out he was high. We Very found out high. we're medium, yes. yeah. um, and that then can guide you rather than ever distilling an exact number. Because if you do that, you could get fucked as the numbers change over time, as you produce hormones that like alter the way your body functions during athletics, things like that,
1: or just get anxiety fucked too. Because yeah. I feel like athletes that are like they're so religious to specific numbers, it's like with anything, whether it's pacing, whether it's fueling intake, whether it's, I mean, these things are going to have to change because ultras are like throwing a huge vat of dice out into the world. And I feel like that flexibility with general buckets as to where you fall is the way to go.
0: So you know what I think we should do right now? What? A precision promo. Oh, shoot. So we officially have a long-term discount code for you all. So precision hydration, uh, amazing Worth things for gels. We love their big-ass gels, which are 90 grams of carbs, which 360 calories. Um, tons of great electrolyte processes. Um, and the code is SWAP, S-W-A-P. Use that at checkout there. This is great shit. We're going to be partnering with them long-term, hopefully now. Um, we talk about them because we believe in them. Our athletes like Ryan are taking it. It is awesome.
1: It's good tasting stuff. I actually – I've had to had an intervention with myself and not take the big-ass gel all at once. Yeah. Because it's like I just – I start – eating it and i just can't stop <laughs> but it's actually kind of a lot for my like little stomach and yeah. so i need to make sure i don't get like so excited about the taste and just go full hog i mean i just I, go full slurp
0: i go i go full hog slurp <laughs> i'm straight down the whole 90 thing at once it works really well for me but uh try out their tabs especially their 1, yeah. thousand tabs so their thousand um i think it's like an orange flavor is wonderful. It is oh, it's been, delicious. And it's been great for me during training. Um,
1: I also kind of like it when I'm just sitting on the couch too, which yeah. is probably not how you should use it, yeah, but yeah. it tastes
0: really good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can. And they have a lot of great resources about how to use this. So on the Precision um, Hydration website, use offer code SWAP, and we'll have a link in our show notes to that. Okay, so a question from a listener that I think is very important coming from Patreon, and here it is. Very serious question coming in. Please, can I get more information on how to successfully execute the side P? I have tried and made a mess of myself so very many times.
1: I'm so proud of them for persisting.
0: Yeah, that I feel like I have to be missing something. Like literally, this has been a skill I've been working on for two years unsuccessfully. I live in New York City and there are almost never any unlocked bathrooms early in the morning. So I really need to master this. And then I have a follow-up question because I want to know a little bit about the mechanics of the side P as well for our listeners. Do you do anything with your hands in the process? More
1: specifically, yeah. we were talking about this question like two days ago. And you asked me, you're like, Megan, do you move your libya aside with <laughs> no, your hands? No, no, no. And I was like, David, I'm what are sure. you talking
0: about? I should, Megan, the better way to say it is like,
1: Can you share the analogy in which you were thinking about this?
0: Well, do you open the blinds <laughs> to get some light in? Is that <laughs> no, what you do? No, I
1: don't. Okay. I don't actually touch things with my hands. Well, I touch my what, shorts.
0: It makes more sense to me if you do that. And I'm not going to get into the other analogy because that's too gross. Yeah. But like, everything here is kind of gross. So... How do you do it? So the side P is when you pull your shirt sideways and P. A lot of women said they struggle with that. Um, and they've tried many, many times. In some cases, really soiling themselves in the process. <laughs> well, what
1: they're going doing? for it. I'm proud of them. Uh, yeah. Okay. So for me, I mean, I've, I've gotten to the point where I can like do this with one foot clipped on a bike. But I think the first part is train your pee. So when you're going to the bathroom, like try to aim your pee. It's actually a great Kegel exercise. Interesting. Um, And so like...
0: Every pee is an opportunity.
1: Yeah, every single pee is an opportunity to get this right, which is really exciting. I think the next part is give yourself a wide berth and a lot of room for when you start. So when you first start, you can basically try like sitting in a squat position. Yeah. For me, I stand with like my legs just like in a normal spot, but kind of get low in a squat and then try with lo- like more loose shorts and use both hands to pull the shorts all the way to the side Okay. when you're in that squat position. And then you can gradually graduate from there to the point where you're like progressively standing more upright and then getting to the point where you're doing it in bike bib shorts. Yeah. And you can level up. So
0: the key is practice makes perfect and wide stance to start.
1: Exactly. Yes.
0: So try the wide stance listener, uh, email back, let me know. uh, And get your
1: hands out of the way. Yeah. So when you're moving your shorts, like I have my hand up high, almost near my belly button. And that's how far I'm bringing the shorts back. If I'm really trying to be careful about this, I've gotten to, to the point where I can like, Move it just a little bit, yeah. but really move that hand high and use force to to move your shorts to the side.
0: Move it just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, for our listeners, she's really demonstrating this right now. I
1: know. I need to stand up and like get into the microphone and describe this.
0: This is basically like the podcast version of Basic Instinct <laughs> and Sharon Stone. I'm not sure if you know that reference.
1: I have no idea that. But reference.
0: for our listeners out there, that it was for, it really just got them going. It okay, was good.
1: what genre is that? Is it horror?
0: Thriller, I think. Oh, that's Apparently it's a good movie. Yeah. I, I don't know if I've ever seen it. but it was This kind is of...
1: like the story of my life is guessing movie references by context cues.
0: So she was wearing like a, you know, skirt or something without yeah. underwear and then crossed her legs and uncrossed her legs or something. So that's uh, kind of what you were doing.
1: That's also like the story of my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> and the Story of your immediate moment right now (laughs) okay so a study on strength work timing this is following up on something we talked about last week this got actually got sent in from a listener um 2011 in the journal of applied physiology and the title is resistance exercise enhances the molecular signaling of mitochondrial biogenesis induced by endurance exercise in human skeletal muscle
1: and i really like the study design of this one so they had 10 subjects and they used a randomized crossover design so that the subjects were getting one of each of the interventions and in one group they had one hour of biking and this was done at 65 percent. So pretty low intensity. Yeah, pretty low intensity. The other group, they did that same one hour of biking, and then they added only six sets of leg press at the end, immediately following the biking.
0: And so this is interesting as we think about when you're going to do your strength work. And to simplify it a lot, the findings were essentially that the mRNA of genes related to mitochondrial biogenesis— um, increased substantially in the group that did the resistance training after, right after the endurance training. So this is a vote in favor of doing your strength work right after you finish runs.
1: And that's in contrast to what we were talking about last week, where we had the group that was doing the strength training um, first, and then they had this washout period, and then they went and did endurance exercise. Over seven weeks. Over seven weeks. And the mitochondria in that group that had already done the resistance training actually didn't respond yeah. as well compared to the group that did pure endurance training. Um, so it is interesting that I think strength training is beneficial, but we really have to think about the timing and how we're doing it and how we're structuring it. Um, and I really love doing it post-exercise.
0: With concurrent training, which is what this is called in the literature. Like, so in terms of when you're going to do it exactly, I don't know if we have a full answer yet from all of these different types of studies, but I do think there's a vote in favor from here and from some of the follow-up studies on this. To if you're going to do strength training, have it be a part of your endurance training as well. So do your endurance training. We like to have it be workout days, long run days, things like that, as close to immediately after. You know, you can recover for a little bit, but then do your strength work pretty mm-hmm. quickly. Um, I think one that puts it in a better endurance contest is going to make sure you're not doing some type of like heavy Olympic lifting. Um, Two, it's more time efficient, which I think is really beneficial. But three, it could have benefits for things like mitochondrial biogenesis, though it's not exactly decided because this isn't measured against like doing it much later in the day or something.
1: And there's a lot to be learned, too, in terms of how this is happening and the cellular processes that are supporting this. And the authors of this paper hypothesized that a lot of it came down to mTOR pathways. And mTOR pathways, to me, are interesting because there's been a lot of talk about them in the longevity space and then also in the athletic space. And it's almost like there's two separate conversations happening. So mTOR pathways, it's this... Big hot topic, but essentially they are involved, they're signaling pathways that help regulate cell proliferation, cell signaling, cell survival, many different types of things. But what's curious to me is we want to. Upregulate. We want to like turn on mTOR in terms of muscle protein synthesis, in terms of like how we respond to athletics. But in longevity, we want to turn it off in terms of like extending life. And so it's really curious to me to have these like two opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of how we think about mTOR.
0: That's fascinating. Maybe what I'm perceiving on a subconscious level is that my mTOR is turned all the way up. I'm (laughs) turned on mTOR. And that's why I feel like I'm not going to last like Robert Marchand does.
1: Well, it's fascinating. So rapamycin, um, which was used for a long time as like a, um, a liver transplant drug yeah. is actually now being given. It was when it was given to mice, it inhibits mTOR yeah. and mice lived to like the equivalent, the human equivalent of 140 years old, Wow, which is wild. Um, and so they're finding that like turning off So mTOR, this is derived
0: from like animal models essentially.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, so they're finding out, finding that like turning off mTOR is actually really advantageous in human longevity, yeah. but for athletes, we want to turn it on in specific ways. And it's tough to
0: know exactly how those two different things mix because if you're doing it via one mechanism, it might be totally different in terms of exactly. how it handles like treats the body and things like that.
1: But I'm curious because you know, I like think a lot about like the longevity space and the athlete space and sometimes the two are like in polar opposite yeah. to each other. And we're still obviously figuring out like the pathways between the two of them, but I'm so curious about that.
0: Well, I think the reason is because we don't understand either. Really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, we're still learning the mechanisms and we probably never fully know them because there's so many interlinking um like arrows going yeah. on in the system. Um but like with strength work, I think, you know, if you can Immediately after you finish, do like three to 10 minutes of strength work two times a week, Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit more than that. Check out our ultra legs routine and mountain legs routine. I'm famous for doing my step ups right after we get back to the car on the edge of it. Um, And part of that's just because I know that's when I'm going to do it. But part of it might be seeing in the data we have on our athletes that doing it right after exercise improves endurance outcomes.
1: It improves your mTOR.
0: Improves it so So much. So you
1: can live till you're 45. (laughs) Just kidding. I believe. I believe in you so hard. You believe in me? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Dude, you're a robust human.
0: It means a lot coming from you with your aerated nostrils right now. (laughs) Because that is a sign you believe in me because you are wearing the nose strip that I've advocated for so long. No, I believe in caution.
1: You've advocated this for five years and it took her getting on the podium of Tour de France Femmes and I was like, I'm in.
0: Okay. Okay, we well, talking about gear now. Um, this will be available this week. Uh, it is really cool. We started posting some pictures. We're going to have those um, online everywhere this um, this week, but it's only going to be available to Patreon members so not only do you get access to gear on Patreon, patreon.com swap, S-W-A-P, you also get a weekly 30-minute bonus podcast where we answer about 10 listener questions each week, um, heavily training-focused, but also focused on life. Then every week as well, you're going to get um, newsletters and science corner posts. People are loving that stuff. So it's not just about the gear. Sign up for our Patreon anyway, and just to support the podcast.
1: Okay, that's lame. Yeah. I just want to give our gear away to the masses, but we literally can't because we have to think about... We
0: have only... A, we have to... Well, Well, it's for our athletes on the team. So you'll be seeing a lot of athletes at races with it. But then also we have a limited amount of order capability in terms of how much money we can spend. Well,
1: we're just trying to think about inventory. We're literally going to be packing this in our garage. And so we can't open it up to the masses at this point. But I would love to do that in the future.
0: I think we'll do that for... For like Podcast. specific things. Podcast merch. Exactly. So this like, is gear. This is meant to be high performance stuff that you can wear anywhere. Yes, there's a cool T Rex on it, but it's not heavily branded. It's not meant to be an ad. Hopefully, it's not
1: heavily branded. It says Woohoo, Huzzah, and Some Work I'll Play on it. Do
0: Woohoo and Huzzah count as branding? Yeah, point? they do. No, they don't. Well,
1: that's why we got a good brand.
0: <laughs> yeah, Pazaar is your brand.
1: Yeah, Pazaar is our
0: brand. It's good stuff. So I think people are really going to love it. They have said that the design's awesome, but also we're designing right now with Rabbit. And so it's really high performance gear. And hopefully at races at the end of this year and in 2024, it'll be the ultimate conversation starter for people where you know they see this jersey that's really fun, but also cool. And then they know hey, that's you. And so might be worth it. So patreon.com swap, S-W-A-P.
1: Well, I love the hats. It has a woohoo underneath the brim, which yeah. is like my dream. A yeah.
0: secret hidden woohoo. Yes, yeah. Um, so also on Patreon, we're doing a bunch of different newsletter type things. It's where we're moving a lot of our writing. Um, and one of the topics I wrote about this week was on unconditional love. Um, so this all relates back to a podcast I was listening to with fortune Feinster, who is a great comedian, um, who's gone through a long process of learning to love herself. Um, especially as she came out as gay and went through a lot of difficulty with her body and her body image and things like that. And on the podcast I was listening to, she was asked like, but you seem to be really comfortable with yourself. Why is that? Mm -hmm. And she said, because my grandma loved me, no notes. So, that line stuck with me so much that you can love someone with no notes
1: or no important notes. (laughs) And I think that's (laughs) because like, I love you so unconditionally, Yeah. but every once in a while I have to tell you something like get your calf pubes off the bathroom floor. And that's (laughs) like technically a note, but I do think there's a lot of merit in like, separating that from the conversations about, like, self and identity. Like, I love you so much to your core, but I don't love your, like, calf pubes on the bathroom floor. Yeah, And I feel like when you have conversations, you have to separate that.
0: My calf pubes are amazing, Megan. I I uplift them. I love them unconditionally. I didn't say that. I I don't think you love me unconditionally if you don't love my calf pubes.
1: I don't love them on the bathroom floor. I okay. love them by themselves.
0: So when they're no longer attached to me? Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. When they've
1: been removed from your It's assistance. like a legal
0: principle, like attachments on houses and how they apply.
1: But so. no, but I love this point so no. much. And I what I love even more actually is your writing about this because I read this and I was like, holy shit, this is beautiful. But it also like, I think it's important to give this gift to anyone that you have is like, I love you so deeply, and like yes, your calf peeps are on the bathroom floor, but that like doesn't matter. That's like that's not connected to the love that I have for you. And I feel like I don't know. Talking about that with people is really helpful.
0: Thank you so much. Do you want me to read this thing that you put in the podcast outline? Yeah, I do. Okay, so this is from this is this is beautiful. Well, I don't know if it's beautiful. I
1: think it. I think it's one of the most beautiful pieces of writing I read.
0: So I was talking about what notes are, and had blah 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 about you know essentially things in the creative process where you tell someone to change something or whatever, um, and. Zooming out a little bit. So I get it. Feedback is important in creative processes. But I think sometimes we can view other people as projects that we can improve with our input. What fortune made me realize, as my skin was turning into pruning goop, I was listening in the hot tub, (laughs) is that those types of well-intentioned, quote, notes can undercut the difference we can actually make in people's lives. Moving forward, I'm going to try to differentiate between any notes that I give that are about something a person does... As a coach, I need to direct athletes the right way. As a partner, I need to tell Megan to maybe not put the moldy sponge back in the sink. Is my
1: moldy sponge the corollary to your calf pubes?
0: No, because my calf pubes aren't causing any damage. Your moldy sponge is going to fucking kill us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And differentiate that with notes that are about something a person is. What a person is can change all the time. But even passing comments trying to accelerate or alter that process can undercut self-worth in ways big and small. My challenge to you, give love, no notes. Unconditional love is such a powerful tonic for the soul, especially when almost every human deals with the most vile shit coming in fri- from inside their own brains. So you, yes, you, you are perfect just the way you are. No notes. But God damn it, don't kill me with that E. coli sponge, woman. <laughs> that was- I that added was, woman to that one.
1: That was a, such a beautiful piece of writing. But as I read this too, it made me think about the idea that like, how often do we communicate that love? Because I feel like so often we try to play it cool, but yeah. it's like, do that to someone that you've never done that to before. I mean, it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. Like Definitely. love is like uplifting someone for who they are, if it's a friend or like someone random on the stranger, street. stranger, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean,
0: I think that's the ultimate power of being human, right, of, of sentience in general and of zooming out and thinking about existence is just how can we understand that everyone is in this shit together? So when I say like, vile shit coming from in our own brains that's like everybody and our roles can be truly uplifting that person including the vile shit in that person's head Mm -hmm. as much as possible as long as it doesn't hurt others and so i think this no notes type of love is something that is a learned trait rather than something that's natural because all of us want the world to bend to whatever we foresee is best like i'm sure there's things about me Who I am that you would like to change in a perfect world, right? Like, I'm not a 99 on every single attribute for you. But, you know, love is understanding that those things that make up who they are are moving at their own rate. And by uplifting them, you're essentially saying, hey, that vile shit that you got going on, like, that's okay too. And you can love yourself. It's essentially giving someone else permission to love themselves a little bit more.
1: Well, how do you communicate? So like, I feel like our relationship over the last couple of years has like truly escalated because we communicate about the hard things. Yeah. So how do you communicate about the hard things while making that not necessarily be notes?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a great, it's something we're trying to learn all the time. Yeah. You know, because it's
1: like when I, when I communicate something to you about like, your calf peeps usually it's actually that that stuff I legitimately don't care about even though it's a joke but usually it's something like a little bit deeper than that is how do you communicate that with the love of the the core of the person
0: I mean it's hard I mean think about some of our disagreements you know yeah like a lot of it comes down to at the end of the day me saying like well Megan no I just love you just the way you are I actually do have no notes and you being like but I need notes
1: (laughs) (laughs) no but but Every, you do have notes sometimes. I mean, you've given me very valid notes that I need to hear to make myself better. Yeah. But how do you do that?
0: That's a great question. I think it's something we're, we're still working through, stumbling yeah. through.
1: Yeah, but I think it's, I think it's just communication. Do you have an answer to that? No, I think it's just, I, I don't think you call them notes. You call them bullets, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think you got to take the good with the bad with people. Yeah, You know, and I, I think... It's a place where I've noticed a big change from you over time Mm -hmm. where I'm feeling a little bit more of no notes love. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. But, I mean, there were periods of time, especially, like, that involved family and stuff where I didn't feel that way Mm -hmm. as much. Yeah. And so, like, that's huge for me. And I know there's a lot of places I can improve, but, like, I'm just who I am. And so knowing that you feel that way has been just, like gives me the ultimate wind at my back, you know?
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I'm giving you all the, I'm giving you all the no-notes tailwind. That's (laughs) Um, for sure.
0: But then the corollary of that too is like loving yourself with as few notes as possible. And that's where Well, I think that's the harder part. Yeah. I mean, Um, it's easier
1: to give that to a stranger on the street often than it is to yourself, Yeah, which is wild when you think about it.
0: Yeah. And it comes with like the race photo conversations we always have about how people judge themselves when they see pictures of themselves. And it's just so hard. And um, it reminded me of a quote that was from that famous sunscreen speech that everybody knows.
1: Wait, I don't know it.
0: Oh, yeah, like wear sun- sunscreen, like all that stuff. You know that speech.
1: I don't know that speech.
0: You don't know that speech? I
1: don't know that speech. <laughs>
0: okay, well, we should give some notes to the podcast outline. <laughs> so here's the quote. In 20 years, you look back at photos of yourself and recall in a way you can't grasp now how much possibility lay before you and how fabulous you really looked.
1: I love that quote so and much. And
0: On top of that was uh, from Reductress, which is an amazing comedy. You can check it out on Instagram. Follow them. And then here's the quote. How to like a photo of yourself by waiting five years to look at it. <laughs> So instead of that, let's just try to do that as much as possible in the moment right now. Like the no notes as it applies to ourselves is not just trying to be like, how could we be different? It's being like, how am I? And how awesome is
1: that? Well, also there's an athletic parallel there too, because I feel like if you look back on a performance in 10 years that you don't like now, I bet you, you're going to love it. That's so true. Yeah. I mean, it depends on, depends on your age, depends on the context, but there's so many performances that I look back on that I was like skeptical about 10 years ago. And I'm like, damn girl. (laughs) I mean, and I truly believe I have that still in me, but I look back on those and I'm like, Whoa, that was wild. And I think savor these moments because athletics are going to be awesome for the centenarian cyclists and all of us, but also you might look back and be like, that was amazing.
0: Yeah. And that's the journey in mental health is like realizing this while still living your life and still striving. Yeah. And it's so hard to balance.
1: And not letting it like pull you down. Like I'm going to have cancer every single day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Well, no, I'm, I'm able to move forward in my life. <laughs> no, you are. Yeah. My, my anxiety is something that I, uh, I try to work through bit by bit. And you, not you're crushing it. I am. Yeah. I actually think I am. I'm doing, I have no good. notes on your anxiety.
1: Really? Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, it's, cool. it's part of you. Yeah.
1: I mean, I feel like you're one of the reasons you're so brilliant is because you're anxious about a lot of things. Yeah. And I think
0: it's great. Well, I, as a result of my anxiety, I overthink a lot of things, but. In the process of overthinking, I test a lot of things. Yes, that's true. So when we talk about Breathe Right Strip, that definitely came from anxiety that I'm not getting enough air through my nose.
1: It's true, which is why I need to wait for Kasia to do it first.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, a little aside, actually, as we're talking about nose stuff, um, don't do nasal breathing while you're exercising. Oh, yeah. I mean, breathe through your nose, but also breathe through your mouth.
1: We talked about this on Patreon. Yeah. yeah.
0: But so many people have read some random thing somewhere that has led them to just thinking that to make a run easy, you have to breathe through your nose. I'm like... Don't do that. Uh, Do it if you want, sure, if it feels really good to you. But otherwise, just breathe through every orifice you have, uh... Try to forget anything that you've learned about that because it's wrong. Every athlete breathes through every orifice orifice. They get as much oxygen as they can to fuel performance. And then outside of training, you can do whatever you want with your breathing.
1: Yeah. Try to win a Nobel Prize by breathing through your ears. Yes. That would be the great, the greatest exercise physiology Nobel Prize of all time.
0: Someone's gonna come out with a book talking <laughs> all about it, I'm sure. Um okay, so do you want to talk about fueling and recovery or do you want to talk about uh hot takes?
1: Let's do hot takes. Let's do let's, hot spend takes. Little, let's spend a little longer on hot takes because I want to give, actually, can you just say the kind of tagline of fueling and recovery and we can get it in people's heads for next week okay. and then we can like go through the science.
0: So we got an email from a listener that was all about how food for them has become doping, Yeah, legal doping. And it's, it's their t- term is food doping. And I think that's 100% true. And what's driving so much performance gain right now is how people are applying eating enough during exercise and around exercise, but especially during to recovery and adaptation. So make sure you're doing your food doping. You're very legal, very fun food doping of fueling enough. That's where precision comes in. They are amazing at um, you know producing gels that get down easy and produce a ton of carbs and getting your electrolytes. So you know when we're pr- promoting them, we're essentially being like, okay, we're giving this message. We have to give people tools and hopefully discounts. There's 15% off at that using that code swap. Um, but food doping is where it's at.
1: And I'm the ultimate skeptic, but I actually think that food doping is a big reason that we're seeing these huge gains in the Tour de France in terms yeah. of like athletes' watts per kilogram and what type of power they're putting out is because they're some of them are actually feeling their body really well in those yeah. efforts. Like they're all taking in the max amount of carbohydrates their bodies can absorb. And they've tested this and they understand what works for their body. And I do feel like it's doping. For Especially the
0: tour. with age. Like Anyone that ever feels beat up out there. Fuel your runs more. Yeah. Like you're going to notice a massive difference immediately. Like your recovery rate, if you're dead tired after your long run, like later in the day, you're just not feeling enough. Mm. Almost guaranteed. Yeah. Like, um, or you're going too hard or both. But even if you're going too hard, usually if you're fueling plenty, you'll find that your energy levels will be okay. Mm-hmm. Even if your body is sore, like yeah. you can't prevent breakdown, but you can prevent some of it. And so next week, we'll talk a little bit about that. At this point, we basically just did a podcast episode, but um, we have a bunch of studies to back that up. Oh, one.
1: let's bring in the studies. Next okay. week.
0: I'm excited. So hot take time. You ready for this? Let's do it. Okay. First one. Beet juice before a big race is legal doping, just like food. Uh, but it comes with a scary red side effect.
1: <laughs> That's so true. The number of times, actually, I've gotten text messages from athletes at aid stations being like, I'm peeing red. Yeah. I'm like, did you have beets? And sometimes they did, Or
0: actually. beet supplement. Or beet supplement, So yeah. this hot take is fascinating. Yeah. Because the science of vasodilators that improve nitric oxide production. It's pretty strong. It's amazing. Yeah. And no one really talks about it that much. So beets are one way to do it. There are beet supplements out there. Alt-Red, I think, is one that's legal. Mm -hmm. Like, it's NSF safe for sports.
1: Or you can just take, like, beet shots, which are gross. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: There's some really good science on citrulline. So in the Tour de France, a number of athletes were taking that, which is an amino acid that comes from watermelon that also is a nitric oxide precursor. Um, But it's kind of weird that there's this supplement out there that essentially, like not just can improve performance, but also can like reduce blood pressure. So Mm -hmm. ask your doctor about that. If you have high blood pressure and you don't want to go on medication, like, is there something you can do with like a natural supplement, like an amino acid?
1: I've even seen it work actually for like erectile dysfunction and things along those lines. Cause if you think about, uh, you know, vasodilation is extremely important in those processes. So I think it has many uses.
0: You know what the theme of this podcast is? What? Dilation. Mm. because we got vaso and nasal (laughs) yeah, everything's being dilated over here how cool is this Uh, so do consider that i actually like that hot take a lot and think it's direct it's totally correct okay next up not so much a hot take as a hot question how do certain brands slash products get away with being so gross like during taste testing do they just go with the one that makes the least number of people gag i get having to adhere to a specific formula but at what cost
1: this is hilarious i totally agree though in my head i have this sort of mentality like The grosser it tastes, the better it must be for my body. Is that super masochistic?
0: It is weird. And you're especially like that. Essentially if someone thing tastes like it could, you know degunk the garage you're like oh that's the shit that's going to help my performance um but that's not precision thankfully precision tastes great
1: yeah it but, tastes
0: excellent uh, maybe we need to make a version that's called the megan version yeah that just tastes like rocket fuel like lighter fu- fluid and you'd be good to go
1: well i'm also curious too about like the variation in taste because there's definitely a variation in how as humans we perceive colors yeah. and other things like that and other senses and i'm also curious too if some people's taste buds just suck shit
0: or just are totally different i mean yeah you know we know for a fact things like Cilantro can be totally perceived differently by different people. And that's more of like a specific gene. I and think. some of these
1: even have genetic yeah, genetic basis. Exactly where I was but going. But maybe
0: for like a broad based how people taste question, mm-hmm. there are just much more spectrum like differences in like how sweet can manifest in their brains. Or and past like
1: traumas. That. Yeah, you you think about like the trauma that you had at Western States in in terms of like taking a product, yes, and just like you know leaving your stomach contents on the trail—that's trauma.
0: Yeah, a vanilla goo is never going down ever again, (laughs) ever (laughs) again. I could never even look at those things without something bad happening. Okay, next one up: running hats suck and only trap heat in visors are where it's at. Huzzah!
1: I like this.
0: No, that's wrong.
1: Well, no, no. Okay, well, we have hats coming. Yes, we so have hats coming get, too. Get very excited for hats. We thought deeply. We actually had many different conversations slash arguments because you thought so, so deeply about the cooling
0: components of our gear. Yeah. And so visors, I actually don't think are better for cooling because as soon as the hat gets wet, oh yes, you need yeah. to have some of that wetness on your head. Oh, where okay. I was going is visors just look really cool. I mean,
1: I wore visors as a thirteen-year-old with hoop earrings, and I was living my best life. It's
0: only because you have hair privilege. (laughs) (laughs) If you had pubes like me, you would not like a visor because what ends up happening is the visor goes around the side of my head, and then just everywhere, all of these curls with like eighteen split ends come out every different side. It's not cool. It's a pubes fest. It is a pubes fest. It's like Lollapalooza for puke. Yeah. <laughs> it's not good at all. But hats are great. So I recommend running hats because you can wet them mouth very easily. Every time you're at a water fountain or something, just get it wet. Yeah. Go by. And it's just great to keep your head wet. And then as soon as it gets wet, it usually stays wet. So go for it. I love that. It's so good. Um, okay. Do you want to go to, I think we have one more or do you want to do any others?
1: Let's do this one more.
0: Okay, great. Uh, according to Walter's records, we'll someday be beaten, but we will never see another athlete so thoroughly dismantle the boundaries of what we thought was humanly possible again. The greatness of her leaps forward will never be repeated.
1: I agree. I think maybe like some of her course records will go down yeah. over time, though that will be extremely challenging. But doing Western States and Hard Rock and UTMB all in one year, and I'm calling out, I think she's going to get the UTMB course record. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen again.
0: Yeah. She's the Bob Beeman of yeah. running. Of or she's the
1: Ann of running. And we're seeing it happen again.
0: True. Yeah, Yeah. I guess Anne Tracen made that leap forward. Yeah, I mean, Um,
1: we looked, we made historical models, like statistical models looking at Western states, and Anne Tracen's performances were out, like, all of her performances, when you adjusted for, like, various conditions and temperatures, uh, were outstanding. And I feel like Courtney is another Anne Tracen.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's partially true, but we can't deny that it was a different era.
1: That's true. Yes, yeah. And there
0: are Mm -hmm. a lot of people pushing at the top end of ultra running right now. Yeah. And so for Courtney to be so far beyond that is a little bit different historically.
1: That's true. Um, And I'm team Courtney, by the way. Courtney is the coolest. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's also like so freaking good.
0: And I I just couldn't imagine how we could ever see a leap like this again because if we did – we'd be seeing people running like 13-hour Western States (laughs) yeah, which is not going to happen anytime soon.
1: I totally agree. Well, its I mean, we have a lot of athletes racing at UTMB and UTMB races, and Courtney's doing it. And you know I love Courtney because I still cheer for her. No, for sure. Uh, Like, you know, we want our athletes to do really well, obviously, and every Courtney that's at UTMB makes that a little bit harder. Yeah. But I root for her so hard.
0: Yeah, me too. It is wonderful to be witnessing history in real time.
1: It's so cool. She's got all the cougars. (laughs) She's going to own – she's going to have – all the Bitcoin.
0: Oh my god, Megan, I'm serious. We need to get on selling these things. Like, there has to be a better secondary market for a lot of these types of, like, you know, prizes and things. Then there's the
1: going to be, like, faux cougars and stuff that oh, come onto the market. you're right. We need some, like, validation to make sure it's real.
0: You know what we need to do? What? Put the cougar on the blockchain.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Pay for our online NFT cougar yes. with cougar coin.
1: Uh-huh. That I love good. that. I love that
0: idea. Okay. Uh before listener corner, a reminder. You need to be taking Athletic Greens. We assume everybody's taking it right now because this is game changing. Like it is the best shit ever. Drink AG1.com/swap SWAP. Great place to support the podcast, but also we are recommending it because it truly works. Um so good at stress management, so good at improving adaptation rates. Um, basically, we're unsure exactly of the mechanisms always, but the amount of results we see are wild.
1: Have you ever snorted it?
0: Have that's, I ever <laughs> snorted it? That's
1: my first question. I mean, we've talked about it with melatonin, and honestly, Athletic Greens is even better the melatonin
0: inadvertently I have snorted it like, <laughs> yeah so like so often I, I won't mix it in that well and there'll be a little extra and then I'll get up and it'll, like kind of puff up in my face and then I'll snort it and then I'll run great oh yeah no this stuff is so good so make sure you're doing it drinkag onecom swap swp they've been the best supporters of the podcast and it absolutely is great stuff we need to get some more like studies to demonstrate what we've seen because the number of emails we get about this is wild it is like It's so cool on this side to be like, we can rep something with like so little hesitance. Just be like, we're all in on this product.
1: Honestly, I would tattoo AG1 on my body at this point. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's a little risky. Like you never want to go like all in, but you know what? I love athletic greens. No notes. Where? Definitely a tramp stamp. Oh, yeah. Is that, is that like a derogatory thing to say? I'm panicking now as I say that.
0: I mean, I, it's it's the term. I could see it being derogatory in some way. I'm not aware of that. Yes. But you're reclaiming tramp is yes. what you're doing. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. You're saying, I'm a tramp and I love myself for that.
1: Uh-huh. Maybe I'll just put it on my forehead.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even better. Either way, no notes. Yeah. <laughs> no notes at all. Okay, listener corner. Uh, I just wanted to write and thank you. Your advice is amazing. I ran a 100-mile race for the um. I ran a 100-mile race last year for the first time and struggled with dead legs in the later part. This year, I went into the same race again, but doing all the things. Lots of hill strides, bombing downhills and training to get my quads used to it, protein, cushy shoes, and way more fuel during the race. I'm still working up to your level, but I realize I more than doubled what I ate last year. Not only did I shave nearly four hours off my time, There's the word shaving again. Oh my gosh. I shaved four hours off my legs. (laughs) Um, I realized at mile 90 that I had a chance of beating 24 hours and actually had it in me to pick up the pace and do it. Hot damn. My last two miles were some of the fastest of the whole race and it felt amazing to pull that off. Thank you.
1: This is textbook food doping.
0: Food doping. I
1: love it. You know what the next step is? What? Food snorting. (laughs)
0: Food snorting. (laughs) Just get that precision right up the nose. (laughs) Let's do it. Okay, and one more actually that's kind of up uh, this alley. Thanks so much for being you. I started following the swap training philosophy about a year and a half ago and went from competing for the win in regional Great Lakes races to competing for the win on the national stage. Brought a lot of love to this starting line at the Ragged 50K National Championships. Tried to run my best race and let the pieces fall wherever they were meant to be. I was in 10th at round halfway and closed to finish third. Woohoo. And this is from Zach Krim. I asked if I could share his name. So Zach Krim, Zach Krim, Write it into Strava. Write it into Instagram. Give him a follow. I'll plug him uh, in an Instagram story as well. This is so cool that some of our listeners are gaining some benefit from all the talking we do.
1: It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm honored. I'm honored, too. I'm actually kind of surprised people trust us.
0: I mean, Would you trust us? Fully. Yeah. I mean, Megan, you should see what you look like right now. (laughs) Like- it's 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 such a sight. I'm like, no one would look like that unless they were very, very sure of what they're saying. You know,
1: it gives me a little bit of anxiety that people are trusting us. No notes. Yes. I feel like you should have some notes. No, no, I us. mean,
0: you know, we're, we're. I think we're really honest about where we see, like, concerns. Yes, right? yeah, we,
1: we pin out a lot of caveats. And yeah. we have a lot
0: of great data. I yeah. mean, the thing that backs up what we do the most is that we've developed it over many years with constant open curiosity about how we're wrong.
1: Yeah. Just don't trust our pronunciation because we've let a lot of books not necessarily seen the movies. But
0: I think the version, the thing that makes us trustworthy also means that we're very open and aware of our wrongness. Yes, that's true. Which makes us also very anxiety riddled when it comes (laughs) to every recommendation. But food doping is one place where we are absolutely certain.
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah.
0: Enough always as... You know, As we talk about all the time, the reason we drill this home is so many people internalize weird messages about fueling in athletics. If you fuel your runs enough, your metabolic rate goes up, your burn rate goes up, your body starts performing better, you're going to live forever like Robert Marchand. It's amazing.
1: And food snorting, I'm only like 20% confident in.
0: It depends what we'll you're We'll
1: copy at that. It depends. Yeah, that's a good point. Frosting. Oh, oh my bro- God. Can, Fro- you, can you imagine how good that would feel, especially with a breather I strip on?
0: Yeah. And that's in your nose. Think about other holes. <laughs> <laughs> we love you all. woo Huzzah. I'm ripping this bandit off. <laughs> the nose strip it felt so good.